Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The theme of our convention was that Jesus is the light of the world and that you are the light of the world also. I was gone to our Synod's biannual convention this last month, and that was the theme that we heard recurring throughout the four days we were meeting. I looked around the old gymnasium and I wondered, is this really what I'm seeing, the light of the world? sitting on metal folding chairs in an old pole barn gymnasium. No air conditioning. Nothing but a couple big commercial fans to only cool the people who are smart enough to sit right in front of them. (coughs) Listening to people talk and debate, make decisions and plans for the future. Is this the light of the world? And then I heard the devotion. An essay by Mark Weiss, one of our professors at ILC, gave an excellent paper, Jesus, the Light of the World, in which he outlined the setting in which Jesus spoke these words as he was standing in the temple and the significance of him claiming that he is the light of the world, and yet the ordinary appearance of Jesus in our everyday lives. Yes, those people sitting in that gymnasium representing you and our church body are the light of the world, just as you are the light of the world, and Jesus is shining here today. So the message we'll reflect on is based on our convention theme, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus spoke these words during a seven-day festival that was held in Jerusalem every year. It was an annual festival called the Feast of Tents, where the people would come and they'd set up tents outside Jerusalem and journey in day by day for seven days to pray to have meals together, to celebrate the harvest. It was October, and the harvest was just coming in. During those warm days, as the farmers were finally bringing in their crops, the people would journey to Jerusalem to celebrate the harvest. It was a time for them to give thanks for all that the Lord had provided them in that year, and for pray, pray for the Lord's blessing in the next coming year. In chapter 7 and 8 of John, Jesus is being followed. And people are wondering whether he's going to go up to this feast or not. And he tells them, I'm not going. They think he should go up there and make a big spectacle of himself so the people will see if supposedly he is as great a teacher and prophet as he claims He should go up to the feast for seven days and make himself known. Well, Jesus says, no, I'm not going. Only as you follow him through the narrative, you find out he does go. But he only goes in secret. 
He goes privately. He doesn't show himself. He doesn't make himself known. And he goes privately. Seems kind of strange. But Jesus is strange. He does these kind of things. Hides himself from us for a while. Doesn't do what we want him to do or what we expect him to do. And he does things in his own way, in his own time. Until finally he stood up and spoke. One of the rituals that developed around this festival every year that was held in Jerusalem was called the Illumination of the Temple. And Pastor Weiss pointed this out in his essay, I had never heard it before, that the Jewish people would build, two, build four giant menorah candles in the temple, 75 feet tall. And on top was a blazing torch four giant candles that would stand in the temple to enlighten that festival for seven days. They were filled with a great big reservoir of oil that would fuel it day and night. And if you remember back to the Old Testament, you know the significance of those torches, just as the candles in the temple were lit and kept burning perpetually, it was representing the fiery cloud and pillar of fire by night as the Lord led his people out of Egypt. In the Exodus story, we find how God led his people out of slavery, delivered them from the darkness of bondage to the Egyptians and the Egyptian gods, from Pharaoh and his idolatry, out into the wilderness through the Red Sea, and he led them by a pillar of fire. So they would light these huge torches and it was said it was so bright that it would reflect off of all the courts in the temple. It was a huge temple structure. From the middle court to the outer courts, you would see this light burning as you traveled from a distance outside of the city. It signifies God's enlightening presence. And reminded them not only to celebrate the harvest that God was providing that year, but to remember that harvest was only possible because God brought them to the land in the first place. God's provision and protection to provide for them for 40 years of journeying through the wilderness. God's continual presence, enlightening the way, showing them the way in the darkness of that desert, and leading them to the promised land, then they could finally celebrate the first harvest and every harvest that would come after that. They would live out in the tents outside of Jerusalem to symbolize how they were in the tents for 40 years in the wilderness. Because life with God is like a journey through the wilderness. It's like living in tents. It's a strange thing. And without the Lord providing for us day by day, bringing in the harvest year by year, without him, we would walk in darkness. Now, with the fire burning in the temple, with God's presence and provision fresh on our minds, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. Do you realize what an astounding claim Jesus is making? Jesus is claiming to be the light, the pillar of fire 
that leads God's people through their wanderings to the place of promise. Jesus is the cloud. Jesus is the fire. Jesus is God's presence among us that enlightens our way. Every harvest we celebrate, every meal we eat at home, every home we rest in, every heart that is touched by Jesus is part of this passage. Jesus is part of everything in our lives, and without him, the harvest, the meal, the home, and the heart would be in darkness. We would lose the true meaning of our lives because he is the light of life. Not just a light, but the light. So how, how did the people interpret this? What did they see in Jesus that would be considered light? Does he come into the temple courts shining and glowing with brightness? Does he come in on a throne or chariot? Does he come in on a mountaintop shouting and proclaiming that he is king? No. He comes to the temple hidden, in secret, in private. Not coming the way they wanted him to come, to show himself and prove that he was this great prophet, but he comes as the hidden Lord, ordinary, walking in and out of those temple courts, no one noticing him, just an ordinary Jewish man. How ordinary is the Christian life? How ordinary do you feel? Because sometimes Jesus is like an old gymnasium full of ordinary people sitting on metal chairs, basically unnoticed by the world outside of this little group that acknowledges it. Everything is so ordinary until Jesus finally speaks in an essay or a chapel or a devotion. In that temple, finally, Jesus spoke, and then he got noticed. His teaching begins to shine when he's ready to speak. He says, I am the light of the world. And we see even though he was so ordinary, he was also so extraordinary. His attitude of humility and patience, his works of compassion for the lost and hurting, his words of truth that penetrate into our souls and expose things that we didn't know were there or we didn't want to know were there. Into the darkness of Egypt, the gods and pharaohs of this world, the darkness that envelops everything without him comes light. And John begins the whole gospel in chapter 1 by saying, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light casts out the darkness. The light reveals the God we would not see if it were not for Jesus. It reveals the God who brings out his people from slavery who protects and provides them as they wander about, even rebelling against him. As they come into the land and as they celebrate the blessing of the harvest, Jesus says, whoever follows me, the light in the wilderness, 
will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Which means that just as Jesus is shining, you are shining too. You might not feel like it. You might not think you shine. But you do. And you can. The devil wants to keep the light hidden. He is okay with Jesus wandering around in secret, with coming to the temple, with walking around like an ordinary person, just like any one of you, as long as he doesn't speak up, as long as he doesn't do something that gets him noticed or gets God noticed. He wants to smuggle you through this world in shame, suppressing the truth in lies that cloud your judgment that make you wonder whether God loves you, that make you wonder whether you're worthy of ever speaking for God or walking with him. He heaps shame upon shame trying to enslave you to the darkness, to admit that you're nothing different and you could never be. And if that doesn't work, then he'll try to convince you to create your own light, to make yourself shine to turn yourself up brighter so you become an artificial light shining from your own power and that power will always run out. No, Jesus says, let your light shine. In John chapter 5, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So Jesus can say, I am the light of the world, and then he can say, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others to all who are in the house so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus commands the light, which means that for us, there's no creating the light. There's no turning it up. There's no turning it on or off. There's nothing for us than simply to let it shine. Just as he commanded light to shine out of darkness, he commands the light to shine in you. And his word is that powerful, that moving, that it does it for you. It's doing it right now. Jesus once walked about unnoticed, ordinary, private, secret. But now he speaks. And when he speaks, it's controversial. It gets him noticed for different reasons. It stirs up jealousy, in fact, to the point where the Pharisees are so upset about the words he's speaking that they try to have him arrested at the feast. If we do not follow him, we walk in darkness. And the things he says, the way he challenges us, the way he turns the world upside down, We can't handle it. 
We can't understand it. We can't see where God is working and what he's doing. But if we follow him, no matter how strange he seems, we will see the light. And we will shine the light of Jesus. Perhaps the most enlightening moment of the convention came in a committee meeting, of all places, when a delegate spoke up for the first time. I was on the committee dealing with the Constitution, so you can imagine how enlightening that feels. We were trying to deal with an article that was being interpreted two different ways. And our committee was split 50-50 on which way you should understand what this article is saying, what the words in the Constitution are saying. Some people could take it and they say it goes this way. Other people took the same words and said, no, no, it's this way. So how do you settle this kind of a thing when a church is divided 50-50 on what the words mean and they're reading the same words? If you didn't have Jesus, that kind of a debate can split whole groups of people, whole church bodies right down the middle over the legal understanding of words. But with the Spirit, we know God is guiding us. Only nobody had mentioned God up to this point. Yes, we were in this committee meeting for some hours debating which way to go, and what happened is somebody made a motion to get us going in a certain direction so we could finally have something ready to bring back to the convention. Only after we had made that decision, somebody else brought up something that hadn't been considered before, and then we said, oh, well, maybe we should go back and change our decision. So there was some new information that came forward when we thought, well, we should go back and we should reconsider it. The problem was that the rules of the meeting say that once you've decided to go this direction, you can't go back and reconsider it. You have to stick with what you've decided. What were we going to do? Well, it was at this point that a delegate from New Alm spoke up. For the first time, I had heard him speak up. A quiet guy, an ordinary guy, a layperson that could be in any congregation in the CLC. And he says, well, maybe this is the Lord's way of showing us which way to go. Maybe this is God's way of revealing that we should move forward with this, and then when we get to the convention, we'll find out what the Lord wants next. It was the first time I had heard the name of the Lord mentioned in all our talk about the Constitution, and I saw the light shining, because it was at that moment that the Lord revealed, okay, let's trust him, as Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Let's trust him and let's move forward. Sometimes it's from the quietest, most unnoticed of lay people that God will choose to reveal his wisdom. I'll close with these words from Philippians chapter 2. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, 
holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Amen.